Better not forget. <clears throat> Forgive the voice this morning. Uh, a little scratchy. I do not feel sick. I do not have a temperature. But I uh, do have this scratchy throat, so you have to kind of bear with me a little bit. Seeing through the lens of the gospel. It's based on 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25. Not just trying to repeat what Brian went over in class here this morning. But at the same time, bringing up some other topics, uh, other vantage points to kind of give consideration to this as we get into the book of Corinthians. So let me pull up this introduction. Corinth is a mixture of people and backgrounds and beliefs, and Paul calls them to be united. That's what Paul or Brian talked about, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. And then I believe what he's going to show us is the gospel is the lens to see through so that they might have unity. So we'll take a look at three points. The lens of the gospel, how we see, and then gospel LASIK will be the last point we'll take a look at. So the lens of the gospel. So let me say this as we start to get into this. Corinth, interesting city. The letter to Corinth, a very interesting, I believe, letter uh, covering various topics and uh, as we get further along into it, we will see all the things that Paul mentions and how we struggle with those things to come to united thinking and action uh, on those various topics. Corinth, first of all. New Testament, it's Achaia. Modern day, it's Greece. It's got the Aegean and the Adriatic. It's got trade to the north. It's got trade to the south. First century, it's estimated it was probably between 400 and 500,000 people. This is a big city. Kansas City proper is 450,000 people. So that gives you kind of a little bit of an idea of what Corinth was like. Corinth was also sometimes referred to as the light of Greece. Because of all the trade north and south, east and west, it brought people from all over the Mediterranean and Asia and Rome. And at the same time, it was a center of culture and learning. They prided themselves in their intellect and in their schools and so forth. But at the same time, <clears throat> with all, <clears throat> sorry, at the same time, with all the commerce, it brought wealth, it brought opportunity. It brought out entertainment. And so you had men, women, you had people from different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicity coming together, different social standings. They had religion too. Venus, the temple of Venus, Aphrodite. It also brought immorality. So with all that they had and the way in which that society was blessed, they indulged themselves in all the worldly pleasures, all the physical pleasures. In fact, it was said, if you live like them, it was to live like a Corinthian. So stop and think about that. And so now on the second missionary journey, Paul comes there and he plants a church. <coughs> And now it's God's reign, God's rule that has invaded this area. And it's going to bring a new way of thinking. And Paul wants them to be united. 
stop and think about that for just a moment. If you don't think that is challenging, then I would just ask you this question. The holidays are not that far removed from us, and we've thought about them, and we think about Thanksgiving, we think about Christmas, and what is one of the golden rules that you always put forth whenever you're going to get family and friends together at that particular time? There are two things we are not going to talk about. (laughs) We are not going to talk about politics, and we're not going to talk about religion. Because you might tear the legs off the turkey and throw them at each other, right? (laughs) And so now Paul has this group of people from all kinds of walks and backgrounds. And he says, I want you to be perfectly joined together in mind and in judgment. That's the challenge. Now let me run this by you. Some of the things, this is not all, this is a good part of, the things that Paul talks about in this letter and is telling them, keeping in mind, this varied group, I want you to center yourself and I want you to be joined together on these kinds of topics and now you just think about that and think about the challenge that goes with it. Stop one second. I got that right. (laughs) Just check. Here's the first one. I want you to be joined together on Jesus Christ. And we say, well, that's easy. Is it? If that's so easy, then why don't we want to talk about religion at Thanksgiving? (laughs) It's not easy. And then secondly... How about sexual morality? He's going to talk about that in this letter. As you look out on society today, you think we're all of the same mind and of the same judgment. I don't think so. And then thirdly, what about going to court? Lawyers are having a heyday in our society, are they not? And in that day and time, they were doing the same thing. If you've been wrong, go to court. And if you're now a Christian and you've come from that kind of background, how are you still settling these issues? And Paul's saying, that's not the way to do it. And then fourthly, what about marriage? He's going to talk about that also and divorce. And are we all united on that subject? And then what about concern for somebody else's conscience? Stop and think about that for a moment. They are quick to go to court. Do you think they are taking time to give consideration to a brother or sister's conscience and how they might feel about something? How about, since we are so proud and we now have a church, do you think that pride has come into the church? We'll see that also. Who's most important in the church? (laughs) And they'll talk about that issue. How about life, death, and the resurrection? He'll talk about that issue. And then here's one. How about your money? 
Let me ask you. Do you want somebody else telling you how to handle your money? And yet Paul will talk about that too. So think about that. All these people, different education, different social standings, different backgrounds. And Paul says, look at this, and I want you to be joined together perfectly in the same mind and in the same judgment. But not only does he say that, in about the 14th chapter of this letter, he's going to say that God is not a God of confusion. He wants you joined together. In that very same chapter, chapter 14, he's going to say the things that I write to you are the commands of the Lord. These are not suggestions. These are the commands of the Lord. And then he will tell this group, I'm going to send Timothy to you and he will remind you of my ways that I teach everywhere in every church. You know what that means? He's saying, I'm not just writing this letter to Corinth and I'm pointing these things out to you just as a local group. I'm telling you, I'm sending you Timothy. Timothy has traveled with me ever since the second missionary journey. And he knows how I've been all over the world. And every place I go, I teach exactly the same thing. You think they can be joined together on that? Do you remember Oprah? I remember listening to her show a number of years ago when she was talking about this very thing, religion and so forth. And she said, well, that's just impossible that people from all over the world would all believe the same thing. And Paul says, I teach the same thing everywhere, every church. There's no difference. So now then, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Let me get there. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I believe what Paul is suggesting here is, if you're ever going to have unity, then the way you're going to have to look at things, you're going to have to look through the lens of the gospel. Now, I think we all understand, as I look around, you look at me, we understand lens, right? So oftentimes we think about glasses, or maybe we think about a microscope, if we want to look at something up close, or we may think of a telescope if we want to look at something way off in the distance, but there's a lens that we look through, and a lens is just a piece of transparent material that has been ground, curved, so that it affects the way that light comes through it. And that helps you to see. There is something that helps you to see. And what Paul is saying is, the thing that is going to help you to see the things the same, no matter what background you're from, no matter what gender you are, no, what your, no matter what your social standing might be, if you can look at yourself, if you can look at others, if you can look at the world through this lens, that's the key. 
on how you can see things the same. How you can come to the same understanding. But now I'm going to tell you this before we go much further. Paul indicates right there in verse 18. Listen. For the message of the cross is foolishness. So you take somebody from a different background, different culture that you came from. And you say, in order for us to understand this, you need to look through this lens. You need to look at things through the gospel. But some people are saying, that's foolish. And so what Paul is saying is, it's going to be difficult. And if you start to look at things through this lens, it may bring animosity towards you. You start to see things differently. You start to think about things differently. You start to do things differently because you now see differently. And somebody else says, that's foolish. There's going to be a challenge to that. John the 15th chapter in verse 18. Jesus talking to his disciples on the night in which he was going to be betrayed and he tells them before he leaves them, if the world hates you, know this first of all, that they hated me first. It's going to be a challenge to it. You start to see things different. You start to talk different. You start to do different. There are going to be people that may be upset with that. So when a person becomes a Christian, and I know I've experienced this, and I know some of you have experienced this, that when you strive to live as a Christian, and then you're around a group of people who are not Christians, whether it might be at school, or whether it might be at work, or it just might be out at a restaurant, and you're talking, and all of a sudden you feel like a fish out of water. And do you know now, in our society, there are certain topics that they don't think you ought to just voice your opinion about. You notice that? So if you're a Christian, and you say things about the way people live, what you think, what the way you see it, you think that may bring animosity? We know it does, right? And so Paul says, the message of the cross, of the gospel, to some people is foolishness. And if you're telling them to look at the world through this lens, they don't want to hear it. And if you press it, it's going to bring pushback. And so Paul wants us to know not going to be easy. But let me say this. When the cross gets a hold of you, when Jesus Christ gets a hold of you, 
What Paul is saying is you stick with it. That's what he's saying. Let me read verse 18 and 19 together. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Paul saying some people are thinking what you believe now is just foolishness. But for us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So when push comes to shove, Paul saying, you stay with the cross. You stay with the gospel. You stay with Jesus Christ. He's saying that cross is foolishness. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. And so when we go out in the world and you face the world and you face what they believe, and you hear these things on TV now. If you don't think there's pushback, let me give you a recent article. Do you know a guy by the name of Tony Dungy? NFL football coach previously. Now a commentator, announcer for sports. Super Bowl coach. Lives as a Christian. He had something to say about some of the things that are being taught and pushed. There was real question whether or not he would still be on that broadcast yesterday. If you happen to watch the Chiefs yesterday, he was the guy wearing the stocking cap. Did you see it? <laughs> he was there. Tony's still there. And he told him what he thought about it all. And that's what Paul's saying. When push comes to shove, stay with it. This is the message. Jesus Christ gave up the glories of heaven. He came into this world. We just went through Christmas and I'm not saying that Jesus Christ was born on December 25th, but I am saying this, it's not wrong to talk about His birth because it's recorded for us in the Gospels. That is just simply telling us how God made a soft landing on earth. <laughs> That's how He got here. And that He was born of a virgin and He grew up and He lived and he carried out his ministry. And he did nothing but show love for people. And went to the cross for me and you. And because of his death, he paid the price for my sins. And because of his resurrection, I know there's hope of eternal life. The gospel message. Jesus going to the cross. Paying the price for my sins. 
gets me out of hell and into heaven. And the resurrection gets Jesus out of heaven and into me. Because he lives. I can live. For some people, I don't want to look at the world through that lens. Oh, that's just foolishness. Paul says, for those who are being saved, that message, that's the power of God. It's the same thing he wrote when he wrote to the church at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's why Paul would say, I teach the same thing everywhere. And it's no different. And if you're ever going to get united, the very first thing you do is you've got to see yourself, you've got to see others, you've got to see the world through this gospel lens. And through this you can find unity. So Paul's saying, that's the message. That's the lens that God wants you to look through. And then you'll start to see things the way he sees things. Secondly, but how do we see? Now Paul's writing to a church, the church of God, it says, at Corinth. So he's writing to those who are already Christians, but just like we talked about in class this morning, the moment that you come to understand the gospel is for you and that you obey the gospel doesn't mean that at that moment you're full-grown, mature Christian and you understand everything and you see everything. But that just means that's the time when you've committed to Jesus Christ. He's your Lord and King and now I want to grow. (laughs) So take a look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So Paul writing to this church and he said, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What's Paul saying? (laughs) So you looked at yourself through that gospel lens and came to understand that without Jesus Christ you were lost. And so you became a Christian. But now as a Christian, you're supposed to grow and to mature. But Paul's saying, when I was there previously, I had to treat you like babes. Jesus, babes and Christ. And now, here I am, (laughs) a few years later, And it's been reported to me by Chloe's household. And then you also wrote to me and asked some questions. And I see you haven't grown the way you should have grown. 
And in the introductory remarks to this letter, he says you've been blessed with all utterance and all knowledge. In other words, you've been given everything you need to help you to grow. But you're not looking at everything through that lens like you should. And so that's getting in the way. Peter writes the same thing, that he says that we should desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said they were to put off, the old man had put on the new, be renewed in the spirit of their mind, come to understand, and to grow. But in that growth, there's a process that has to take place. There has to be that light that comes in to help us to see, and then we can make progress. And as we see a little bit, and we make a little progress, then we can see a little more. And we can grow a little more. So let me give you this illustration. Wednesday evenings, we come together for Bible study, right? It's January. So when we get finished with Bible study on Wednesday evening, it's dark outside. And I live approximately 14 miles from here. And you know, when I go outside and I get in my car and I start to leave, I can't see all the way home. <laughs> so I turn on the headlights, and I don't know exactly how far a headlight shine out there, about 100 feet or so. I don't know. Something like that. I turn on the headlights, and I can see about 100 feet out there. So I drive to the end of that 100 feet, and, and then those headlights, they shine some more. <laughs> and so I go a little further. And I just keep doing that until I get all the way home. Now along the way, as those headlights shine, I could see, I need, to make, I need to make a turn here. I need to go this direction now. Or when you get down to my neighborhood, just behind the houses over there, that's, that's all open land. And there's deer that live in there. So sometimes I come into my neighborhood and so forth. It's like, you got to watch out for the deer. <laughs> so the headlights shine. And I see something that I need to avoid. Or I may have to go around. Well, spiritually, it's kind of the same way. God's word helps us to see where we need to be going. And as we travel a ways, and then we see a little more. And we may see, well, now I need to go this way. Or I may see, wait a minute, <laughs> I got to go around this. I, I need to avoid that if I'm going to make progress. But the idea is to reach the goal. Now, sometimes whenever we talk about a goal spiritually, you know where our minds go? 
it just goes to heaven, doesn't it? We think that's the goal. Well, ultimately it is. But in this life, there's another goal. You know what the goal is? It's Romans 8 and verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal. That's home in this life. To be like Jesus Christ. And so in order for us to do that, we have to see, we have to grow, make a little progress, and continue towards that goal. And Paul's saying, at this point, you've been given everything you need, but there's certain things that you're not avoiding. And it's getting in your way. And you're not making the progress that you ought to make. And so he talks about all these different subjects. Keeping in mind, every one of these subjects you look at through that gospel lens. Now I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations here. Because in writing to Christians... That doesn't mean the moment that we become a Christian that all of a sudden we just see everything perfectly clear. So these are kind of my illustrations. I hope you hope you understand. <laughs> hope you appreciate it. You know what a monocle is? If you've ever played Monopoly, you know that little man that has that little lens? You know? <laughs> or if you eat Planter's Peanuts... <laughs> You ever see that little man? He's got the top hat, and he's got the spats, and then he's got that monocle. Well, monocles can be beneficial. But there's a problem with monocles. You know what the problem is? <clears throat> it's a monocle. <laughs> it helps the vision in one eye, but it doesn't help the vision in the other. And sometimes as Christians, that's the way we are. We kind of look at some things through that gospel lens. But our other eye is still seeing like the world. So here I think is an illustration of that kind of spiritual conundrum. You remember Matthew the 19th chapter when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what must I do in order to be saved? And so Jesus starts to enumerate these commandments. And the young man is excited. And he says, oh, I do that. I've done that since my, from my youth up. <coughs> Excuse me. In other words, I see that. But there was something. I'm going to have to pause and take a drink of water. <coughs> there was something else. That that young man wasn't seeing. <coughs> Jesus said to him. <coughs> There's one thing you lack. You see everything else. Which is one thing you lack. Go and sell. All that you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. 
and you will have treasures in heaven. Young man looked at that with worldly vision. I can't do that. And it says that he went away sad because he had many possessions. Spiritual wisdom would have said, listen to Jesus. Do what he told you. Worldly wisdom said, that's foolish. And it says he went away. He could see certain things, but he couldn't sell. So that's one way that we sometimes look at things. I can do this, but I can't do that. So let me give you the second illustration. Sometimes we see things like with binoculars. This is probably my favorite illustration. Sometimes people take the Bible. Let me divide it. And they do this. See that? It's like binoculars. And you know what you do with binoculars? You can see everybody else just perfectly fine. But you can't see yourself so well, can you? And you know, a lot of times that's kind of the way it is. We like to use the Bible like binoculars. (laughs) I can see exactly what your problem is. That's, That's the way we want to look at it. Matthew, the 23rd chapter. The Pharisees were disputing with Jesus. And Jesus says, and he's warning the crowd. He said, what the Pharisees say, you do it. But don't do as they do. Because you know what they did? They took God's word. And they could see everybody else and see exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And Jesus said, what they say, do it. Yeah, they understand the law. But don't do like they do because they won't do it. The disciples sometimes had that problem too. So how does God intend for us to use his word? James, the first chapter, in about verses 22 through 25. James says this, Be ye not hearers only, but be ye doers of the word. And then he gives this example, this illustration. He said, because if a man does that, he's like a man that looks in a mirror, and he sees himself, but straight away he goes away and he forgets what he saw. And so what's James saying? Use God's word like a mirror. (laughs) And what does a mirror show you? It shows you yourself. And he says, don't just be hearers, be doers. So first take God's word and look at yourself. Over in 1 Timothy, the first chapter, the apostle Paul said, this is a faithful saying. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief. Paul says, I looked at myself. Then over in 2 Timothy, he said, I endure all things for the elect. So Paul saying, I recognize who I am. And then now I try to help others. See, that's the same thing that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. First, remove the log from your own eye. And then you'll see more clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, remember that first missionary journey? Lystra and Iconium and Derby up there in those, that region of Galatia. In Galatians 6, he writes and says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a sin, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. Paul is not talking about overlooking sin. Paul is talking about how to deal with sin. That's what James is talking about. Hold up God's word like a mirror. Look at yourself. That's what Jesus is talking about. Remove the log out of your own eye. Then you can see more clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's what Paul's talking about when he writes to the churches of Galatia. This is the way to handle it. It's not ignoring it. It's a proper way to handle it. But oftentimes, we can have a problem with trying to use God's word like binoculars. I can see you, I just can't see myself. But then the third way is glasses. Now, glasses are good, aren't they? Kenny, you're great glasses. <laughs> so, so. If you notice mine, I got these little area down here that's bifocals so I can see things up close and then up here that's you know so I can see things far away glasses are good I can see close I can see far and you think glasses that's great it helps me see you know what the problem is with glasses you can take them off and you know when now this is a guy illustration okay do you know when most often we take them off and I think back to when I was much younger. When you wrestle, you take them off. You know? I'm in my 60s. I don't do much wrestling anymore. <laughs> but way back when, back in the day, <laughs> I didn't wear glasses, but I knew other guys did. If you start to wrestle, whoa, 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 whoa. let me take off my glasses. Do you think that ever happens spiritually? <clears throat> we can see things pretty good. And then we start to wrestle with something. And then I take my glasses off. Problem is, it's voluntarily. So let's make it simple. Sometimes people wrestle with this. I'm not being critical, I'm just trying to be real. Let's keep it real. People wrestle with attendance. I can read God's word. I can see perfectly clear. And it says the disciples came together upon the first day of the week to break bread. Sunday morning comes around. 
I'm not feeling it. Is it because I can't see it? No, I just took off my glasses and I'm seeing it different now. I'm not feeling it. It's not that I can't understand it. It's not that I can't see it. It's not that I can't read it. It's just for some reason now, I'm going to take off those glasses and I'm going to see it different. We can apply the same thing. Not being critical, just keep it real. We can apply the same thing. We come together for Bible study on Sunday morning. Eh. (laughs) Should I? Does the scripture say that I need to grow? Does the scripture say that he has given some to be teachers? Why do you give a teacher if you don't have a student? Right? (laughs) Or on Wednesday evening. Now, somebody's saying, wait a minute, where's that command? I'll show you where that command is. You know where that command is? That command is found right in the fact that we're supposed to edify, to build up one another. That we're supposed to love one another, to encourage one another. It doesn't have to be Wednesday night. Would somebody prefer we make it Monday night? <laughs> Would that fix it? <laughs> or Thursday night? We used to meet it Thursday night, and people looked at us like we were funny. Now the command is to edify, is to love, to help grow. Can we see it? Or do we just take off our glasses and go, I don't see it. So glasses are good, except we can take them off whenever we choose. So sometimes we see and sometimes we don't. Now let me run down through this right quick. Luke, the fifth chapter. Do you remember one of the first times <clears throat> that Peter really saw Jesus? It was by the shores of Galilee. It was one morning. There were two boats sitting there. One of those boats belonged to Peter. Jesus comes along and he's teaching and he climbs into that boat and he says, push out from the shore. And so they push out and then Jesus teaches. And then after he's finished teaching, he says to Peter, let down your net for a catch. And Peter's like, now you're into my business. We fished all night. We didn't catch nothing. Jesus said, let down the net. And Peter says, okay, that's your word. And he lets it down. And what happens? He catches so many fish, they can't hardly pull it in. And he has to get help to pull it in. And then what does Peter say? He turns around and looks at him and he says, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. At that moment, Peter saw. He saw Jesus, and he saw himself. Matthew, the 16th chapter. This is later. It's like the second year. And they come into the area of Caesarea Philippi. And now Jesus is trying to get a feel for where they are spiritually and in their understanding. And he says to them, who do men say that I am? And oh, they speak up and they answer and they say, oh, were you Elijah? Some people say you're Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some say one of the prophets. But then Jesus gets specific. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter. 
speaks up and he says, Thou art the Christ. He sees him. You're the Christ. That's good. You see me. So Jesus presses it a little further. And so then he says after this, I must go up to Jerusalem. I must be turned over. I must be. Su- I have to suffer. I have to die. But I will rise again on the third day. And then all of a sudden Peter says, Oh no, not you Lord. Peter doesn't see it. So what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. That's a little harsh, isn't it? Get behind me, Satan. Because you don't see things like God sees. You see like men. See, how did Peter see this thing? Oh, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the king that we've been waiting for. And the way I see it, it's not long before you sit on that throne. You rule. We overthrow with might, with power. We make this Roman government submit to us instead of us submitting to them. And on the night when Jesus is betrayed, what does Peter try to do? He pulls out a sword and Jesus said, you live by the sword, you'll die by that sword. He couldn't see it. The way I'm going to become a king, the way that I'm going to have a crown, is through the cross. Peter. Peter, come a little ways. You need to come further. Jesus knows that we struggle at times, we wrestle. At times. Why does he know that? Because he wrestled. Then, Remember the garden? Father if it be thy will. Let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Your will. So he wrestled. He wants us to. But make the right choice. Stay with the cross. Thirdly, LASIK. I want to read verse 18 through 24. For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, they just couldn't see. That's the way we're going to be saved. And man on his own and in his wisdom had never figured that out. Because God had to reveal it. In verse 21 it says, Through the foolishness of the message preached. That's the way God planned it. He designed it. 
and then he wanted it taught. And those who would believe it, it's the power of God to salvation. But to those who reject it, it's foolishness. So LASIK. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I had to look it up. I'm not an ophthalmologist. But I come to understand this. On our eye, we have a lens. That lens is the cornea, right? And over time, and as you get a little older, light comes through that lens and passes into the eye. But it's changed, and so we don't see quite as clearly. But with LASIK, surgery, laser, surgery, it can reshape that cornea so that you see clearly. No monocle, no glasses, no binoculars, so that you can see clearly. That's the gospel. It helps us to see ourselves. It helps us to see others, the world, what God was doing through Jesus Christ so that we can see clearly. And that'll change our thinking. And that'll change our actions. In Mark, the 8th chapter, in about verses 22 through 26, it's once again those one of those contexts where Jesus is disputing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are disputing with him. And they see him physically. They just can't see him spiritually, who he is. It's the same context, though, Mark, the 8th chapter. Is when the disciples say, you're the Christ. So they see that much. But in that same context, once again, Jesus is telling them, I have to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die, to rise again the third day. And they, they can't see that. So here's the interesting part about that whole context and the way in which Mark records it for us. It's the Pharisees. And they can't see Jesus. It's the disciples, they kind of see him, but not totally. And then there's this man. And he comes into the area of Bethsaida. And they bring this blind man to him. And so Jesus takes this blind man and he spits on his eyes and then lays his hands on him and asks him, what do you see? And he looks and he says, I see men walking like trees. I can kind of see, but not real clear. And then Jesus lays His hands on him again and asks him, tells him to look up. And He says, now what do you see? And then He saw clearly. Perfectly. It was a process. He had these steps that He had to go through so that He might be able to see. Romans, the 12th chapter. After Paul has explained the gospel, he comes to chapter 12 and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy except the one of God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye might show forth what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. Helping you to see so that you will know perfect, acceptable will of God. So Paul begins this letter, chapter 1 and verse 10. I plead with you, brethren, be of the same mind and of the same judgment, perfectly joined together. Different people, different backgrounds, different beliefs. How are you going to come together? If you can see everything through the lens of the gospel, unity is possible. Paul starts this letter talking about Jesus Christ and the cross. And when he gets close to the end of this letter, let me read to you what he says. Chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Some translations say, I delivered to you of first importance the Gospel. That's first. And then there's all these subjects. And then he concludes. Don't forget. I delivered to you first importance. The gospel. Christ died. He was buried. And he rose again the third day. Put on that lens. You can look at yourself. You can look at others. You can look at the world and you can see what God is doing through Jesus Christ. And there can be unity. I'll leave you with this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That's what Paul said about God. I want to extend the invitation this morning. It was Jesus himself who said, Go preach the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that disbelieves shall be condemned. Extend the invitation while together we stand and while we sing.